0: Today's scripture comes from Matthew verses 18 through 35. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you lose lose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. The Parable of the Unforgiving Servant Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had the mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed so also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart this is the word of the lord
1: thank you Marcella. thanks be to god this summer we have been looking at the parables the stories of jesus and we've seen that these stories were his favorite way to teach and what we've seen is that All of Jesus' stories, they have a shocking or surprising twist. They have surprising elements, and they have unexpected outcomes. They are subversive stories because they overturn so much of what we think we know about God and his ways and what we expect him to do. And in this parable that Marcella just read for us, we see all of these things happening. But before we get into the story, I wanna begin by asking you, all of you right now, to solve some equations with me. Um, Not math equations, these are going to be uh, word equations. So I'm gonna put those up on the screen uh, right now. These are like fill in the blanks. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to engage with this real time live right now. I want you to put your answers to any of these blanks in the comments section They're on YouTube if you have that up, or go ahead and just text them to me. I'll receive them if you text to 97,000. So here are the equations. What do you get when you add proximity to others? Increase proximity, increase time with others, and increase stress. What do you get when you mix uh, the sinfulness of people with other sinful people, with uncertainty, with fear, and anxiety? What happens? What do you get when you add deep cultural divisions together with multiple cult- cultural crises together with a lack of cultural civility? Go ahead and think about that and send me some of your responses. Well, as you're filling in the blank, and as I'm waiting to hear from some of you, uh, we do have a little bit of a delay, so I'll I'll be receiving your um, responses about 20 seconds after you put those in. I would imagine that some of you are putting in anger. (laughs) Some of you are putting in a recipe for disaster, for fighting, for all kinds of conflict. And we'll see some of the ways uh, that you respond here as we go. Now, what I want you to consider before we get into this story. Oh, there we go. I'm getting some. Conflict, strife, and tension. That's a good one, Liz. That's exactly what we see. Audrey and Jonathan, we see today, right? This is so much of what's happening today. And Jonathan says conflict. That's right. Conflict, strike, it's like, it's like a powder keg for conflict. And we're seeing all these things happen in our lives. That's why I set up these equations, because this is life right now. A very sad and hard life, yes. And there's a lot of sadness, and there's a lot of hard things, and hard breaks in relationships, and hard tensions we're facing right now. Let me ask you this, how would Jesus, do you think, fill in these blanks? And keep those responses coming. I'll, I'll, I'll be interacting with those as we go. Based on the parable that we just read, I believe Jesus would fill in all of the blanks with these words. Opportunities for forgiveness. These are all great opportunities for forgiveness. When I was in seminary, uh, the church that I attended, we got stuck in a really bad conflict. Uh, it got pretty ugly. It was Rough. There was loss of hurt. Thankfully, the leaders uh, were wise enough to reach outside for some, and get some outside help, and they brought in a man named Ken Sandy. Um, some of you may know that name. I didn't know at the time, but he is one of the foremost experts, really, really, in forgiveness. And I'll never forget him saying once to the leaders of this church, gathered, who were trying to work through this conflict. He said this, he said, here is the mindset you need to have. Here is the mindset of a, fo- a follower of Jesus. Whenever you are wronged, you should say, here is a wonderful opportunity for me to introduce someone to a wonderful world of forgiveness. When you are wronged, when someone hurts you, when there is pain, <laughs> show and demonstrate forgiveness. Wow. Wow. That was, like, shocking. I said, I've never thought of something. Well, it's not easy, and Ken Sandy wasn't saying it's easy. But this is the mindset that Jesus taught, and it's here in the parable. Now more than ever, as I'm seeing all the responses come in, like 2020, life in 2020, um, when our lives are pretty much described by these equations, we have many opportunities for forgiveness. Jesus did not teach that forgiveness would ever be easy, but he did say that it is expected for all those who truly know and follow and understand him. It is a mark of authentic faith. Let's look now at the story. To properly understand this story, we need to see that Jesus told the whole story in response to a question. Now, Jesus was teaching on relationships in this chapter in Matthew 18. Peter, in response to Jesus' teaching, approached Jesus and asked the question. You see it there in the text. Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus said, I tell you, not as many as seven, but seventy times seven. Now, Peter We need to know, thought he was being very generous, pretty spiritual here, because because, and there there was a limit. If somebody sins against you three times, that is the limit. And Peter was saying, Jesus, I think I get what you're saying. How about seven times? He was going above and beyond, he thought. And Jesus responds by saying, Try seventy times seven. What does that mean? <laughs> when you get to the four hundred ninetieth first time that you've used up all uh, forgiveness, no, the number. And some say it's not uh, meant to be four ninety, but seventy-seven. It's not. Like he's taking the number seven and he's taking the number ten and he's adding another seven. All those numbers seven and ten symbolize completeness. He was putting them all together essentially saying it's unlimited there is no limit to forgiveness now we shouldn't judge peter you know he was expanding uh, to seven a lot he thought you know right and as we think about it if somebody wrongs you seven times in the same way <laughs> how hard is it to forgive that person every time surely there must be a limit and jesus says there is no limit how is this possible well, Jesus told this story to answer that question. How is it possible for us to forgive? Again and again, when our lives feel like all those equations are, are hitting us, us. This story has three scenes. Let's look at each one of them. One, one Verses 20, 20. There now. In your Bibles, you can even pull it up on your phone Matthew eighteen verses twenty three and twenty four For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants when he began to settle to settle was brought before him, this is the first of the stories Owed the king the king know is that the largest unit or denomination of currency at the time. One talent equaled 6,000 denarii, another denomination of currency, which was one day's wage for the average laborer of the time. So, putting the math together, it would take 20 years to earn one talent. To earn 10,000 talents, it would take 200,000 years. So it's like, An unfathomable number, like a billion trillion or something like that. The king then says to him, everything you have, even your family, must be sold to pay off the debt. And even this, if everything he had, even his family was sold off, even everything he had, it would be like paying one dollar on a one million dollar mortgage or something like that. It's like a drop in the bucket. So what did this servant with this unfathomable debt ask for? He, in verse 26, he asked for patience. He says, just please, he begged the king, patience, please give me time to repay the debt. Now that we have the sense of the numbers involved, though, we see what he's asking. He's saying, can I just have another 200,000 years and then I will pay you back. Even the king of Judea at the time king Herod his annual revenue was 900 talents <laughs> it was impossible and how did the king respond well the king didn't give him what he asked for instead he gave him what no one would have ever expected it, he gave him what no, no one would have ever dared to even ask for he gave him forgiveness Meaning the king released him from the debt, the entire debt, forever. And this is shocking. A king would never do this at the time. I mean, well, why would the king do this? Would this guy ever learn? He had amassed such incredible debt. Forgiving him, what will he ever learn from his mistakes? What will all my other debtors do? It was the king's right to be paid back. At least some of it, but the king... Let go of all of it. Why would he do this? This is shocking. <laughs> it's meant to shock us. But scene two, the more startling element comes in scene two. The servant who had just received this shocking unheard of forgiveness from a king whom he owed everything. All he had, all he was, was given back to him. This same guy went out to find another servant who owed him some money. How much money was it? It was a hundred denarii. Okay, so this is three months' worth of wages. That's sizable. That's something. But it was nothing compared to what he was forgiven. Then look at verse 28. The servant, it says, went out to find one of his fellow servants who owed him the money. He grabbed him and started choking him and said, Pay what you owe! Now, I have a a piece of art. (laughs) Because this is meant... To disgust us. This is startling. Look at this uh, picture. It's from an artist named Domenico Fetti, one of these medieval artists. And if we can't picture it in our mind, this is a very, uh, like, uh, visceral picture here for us. To see a man choking another man. And we know where this man had just come from. Shocking. Disgusting. The servant says to him, almost the exact same words he said to the king Would you be patient with me? I will pay you back. He should have heard the echo of his own voice speaking to the king. But he was unwilling, it says, and he threw him into prison until he could get all he was owed. And there's one final scene. There's the shock of scene one, the surprising disgust of scene two, and then there's a final scene, verses 34 and 35. The king is told what happened by his other servants. And now we get another twist. This king of unheard of forgiveness and compassion throws the first servant into prison, into torture. Oh, and we feel another jolt, like, oh, wow. And we think, was that, was that right? What, what, is being, what is going on there? We take a step back and ask ourselves the question, what should the king have done when one of his subjects was treated that way? He couldn't have done nothing. He had to act on behalf of this other servant. What kind of king would just let that happen? Now remember that in parables, we're not to look for a one-to-one correspondence with every single detail. We're not to press each detail too far. We are meant to feel the shock of scene one, the surprise and the disgust of scene two, and the gravity of this final scene. But What is the teaching of the entire parable? What's the main point? One scholar summarizes it so well when he says this. Forgiveness not shown is forgiveness not known. That's the main point. Forgiveness not known is forgiveness... Forgiveness not shown is forgiveness not known. And the point of the conclusion, unforgiveness, that we see displayed in this servant, even for repeat offenses against us, consigns us to a kind of prison, a kind of torture of our own making. Now whatever sin and neglect and disobedience the servant did in racking up his billion-dollar debt to the king, The king was so quick to forgive, but here in the final scene, when he sees this unforgiveness, he dealt with it severely. Now, point of application there. Of all the sins God takes seriously, a failure to forgive, this story teaches us. He takes most serious of all. We see this in the Lord's Prayer. It's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that comes with a condition or a promise. Forgive as I forgive my debtors. Why might this be? Well, the way that we handle things when we are wronged, this story teaches us. It's like a window into the soul. It's like a mirror for us to show us what's really going on in our hearts. This story, if we let it, is a window and a mirror for us. How we handle it when others wrong us When others owe us, a debt, a relational debt, is a mirror and a window of whether we have really come to grips with how God handles us when we wrong him. These three scenes, each of them gives us a window, each of them gives us a mirror. It exposes and it shows us whether we really know forgiveness. So let's look at three lessons here having gone through the story. First, it's the shock of forgiveness. You don't really know forgiveness unless you are utterly shocked by it. That's the lesson of scene one. The story is meant to show us that the idea that I can be forgiven by God is absolutely shocking and stunning and flabbergasting. And that is a word. I confirmed it with Microsoft. It is a word. (laughs) If it is not to us, then we don't know. But we have forgotten what it means to be forgiven by God. And when it is shocking to us, we will shock others with how we treat people when they wrong us. But for many people, the truth is that the idea of being forgiven by God is kind of boring. It's kind of like ho-hum. Like, yeah, okay. Something we pretty much presume upon. It goes like this. Sin, it's what we do, right? We're sinners. We're broken. Nobody's perfect. It's what we do. So God forgives us. (laughs) Why wouldn't he? We're all broken. We're all sinful. It's what God does. Sin is what we do. Forgiveness is what God does. Kind of, of course, of course, being forgiven by God. But according to Jesus, forgiveness, when we really understand it, can never result in a, hmm, of course. There are two things that come together in this first scene. That give us the two truths of forgiveness. That when they come together in our hearts, it's like fire and oil meeting together. An explosive power of amazement. And the first is a very hard truth. Jesus is teaching something here very hard for us to really accept. That we are like the servant. Each of us has an impossible an unpayable debt to repay before God. We each have an infinite spiritual debt. Like the servant, we owe God everything, and He has the right to demand everything. Everything we are and we have is on loan from Him. And our failure to love God and love our neighbors places us in an infinite and impossible debt. If we don't feel this and know this and experience this, deep down, there will be no power in forgiveness. We will instead live Like God owes us, even and including owing us forgiveness when we sin. But as we saw, the servant in the story dares not even ask for forgiveness. It wasn't an option to him. To do so would have been the utmost sign of dishonor and disrespect and dangerous. But you come into the presence of the king when you owe them a billion dollars and say, Hey, um, yeah, can you just let it go? (laughs) Never would have thought about it. Not even an option. That's the hard truth, but it meets the freeing truth in scene one. Jesus is teaching that God forgives us our infinite, impossible, appalling debt. Two words in the story capture the freedom of forgiveness. It says the king released him and forgave him the debt. Imagine this. Imagine you keep receiving a bill every month. It's for a debt that you can never pay, $1 billion. There it is, written on the paper. Every month, it comes to you, and it says due date, August 2nd, 2020. You've been seeing this bill for years. There's nothing you can do. You cannot pay it. You just keep filing it away, knowing that a reckoning is coming. And then August 2nd comes, and you get a letter in the mailbox. And you're full of dread when you go and see this letter. What is going to happen? What legal action will be taken against you? You'll lose everything. You open the letter and it says there, in bold letters, amount owed, zero dollars. And underneath it, in all caps, it says, this is the last bill you will be receiving from us. Thank you. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Can you imagine how many times you'd have to read that bill and that letter to actually believe that it was true? He would probably frame that letter and keep it forever. That's release. That's forgiveness. God no longer holds our sin against us. He doesn't bring it up to us and never will. Not just the sin we are aware of, but the 95%, the 99% we are completely unaware. of. As far as God is concerned, it is gone. Why did God do this? Now, there's only one reason given in the story. When we ask why. Why would the king do this? Why would God forgive us? And it gets to the very, very heart of God. It says, when he saw the king, the, the servant down before him, he had compassion. This is really the most shocking thing of all in the story. In the heart of of God and his heart of hearts is compassion on sinners who rack up an infinite and impossible debt against him. He feels with. What is compassion? He feels with, he feels for. His heart goes out to sinners and he longs to release us from the debt. And for the reasons we got into the debt in the first place. A great compassion and longing to set us free. So important that we know that. And that we experience that regularly in our own confession in receiving forgiveness. It comes from the very heart of God. He is a compassionate God. Even. Even for us in our great sin. Do you know that? We see what it means. We see why did he do it. But how could he do it? The money the king was owed didn't magically come to him when he forgave. The debt was real. It didn't just disappear. Something had to be done. So forgiveness, then, is not excusing or minimizing the debt. The king laid it out. He said, you owe me 10,000 talents. The servant felt the full weight. He did not ignore the debt. It's not excusing or minimizing or ignoring it. He called him to account. It had to be dealt with. So forgiveness is only possible if the debt is absorbed by the king, if he decides to absorb it himself. And this is the gospel, my friends. This is the heart of the message of Christianity. Out of God's great compassion, Jesus takes, absorbs, pays all of our debt, past, present, and future, and it is done, and it is gone. You know, modern and progressive people want to soften The hard truth here, by minimizing or softening the idea of sin. While religious and moral people seem to be very hard on sin, but they believe they can earn their place back with God. They can pay him back. They can make up for their sins with goodness. Both approaches completely miss the shock of the gospel. Both lack the hard truth. The debt is infinite and impossible. So both lack the power of forgiveness. The freeing truth of forgiveness. We need to experience this double shock of the gospel that we are more sinful than we would ever and could ever measure, but we are more forgiven than we ever dare ask or believe. Because of Jesus, He took on our infinite debt, and because of that, we have unlimited forgiveness in Him. And that can completely change how we deal with others when they wrong us, which is the second part. Second point, second scene, the strength for forgiveness. Scene one in the parable, we have to have scene one. The shocking forgiveness of God for us is what gives us the strength, the ability, and the power for forgiveness when scene two happens in our lives. And it will happen. Scene two will happen again and again, often repeatedly, with the same people, in our marriages, in our families. In the workplace in our neighborhoods we can expect this parable shows us because we are sinners that we will rack up relational debt with each other now the language of debt as we've talked about before we talked about this in uh, our series on the Lord's Prayer we looked at forgiveness of sins at first this language of uh, this economic language can seem a little off-putting you know how cold and calculating to talk about personal relationships in terms of debt and money but isn't this how we always talk about our relationships? We say, I owe you one. We say, I can never repay you. Or we say, that will cost you. The language of debt doesn't cheapen the pain and the hurt of relationships. In fact, it honors relationships. By saying something real is created when we wrong each other. It's a debt. It's a relational debt. Because each person is owed dignity, love. respect, and when we fail to give that, something is created that stands in the way of our relationships. Now reading scene one and scene two together, like we said, is meant to totally disgust us. How could he do that? But think about this. What if we just had scene two and that's it? What if that was the whole story? One guy owed another guy three months worth of wages, and the guy said, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. Well we know the first servant had a right to this money. He had a right to be angry. we would say he needed the money. <laughs> so maybe we would think, hey, he went a little bit too far. But without scene one, we might even be on his side. Pay the guy back. Come on. But scene one puts the debt of the other servant in perspective. The application. <laughs> when we are in scene two, when someone wrongs us in something real is created and, and real pain happens and we feel like choking someone <laughs> be honest we have all been there and we are hurt and we are angry and the debt is real we can get the strength to forgive by remembering and rehearsing scene one again and again as often as it takes Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his great book Life Together he speaks about this put this quote up on the PowerPoint screen. He said, If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Another way to say it. The more real scene one is to us that the more we will say i am the most forgiven person in the world it becomes first person it becomes so personal i am the most forgiven person in the world or like paul said it in first timothy i am the chief of sinners when it comes to where i rank i'm in first place and i am the most forgiven the only way a christian relate to other people is as a forgiven sinner as a chief of sinners ken sandy whom i talked about early earlier in my introduction he wrote this said christians are the most forgiven people in the world therefore we should be the most forgiving people in the world and this parable helps (laughs) helps us take that first person place in the story Since I am the most forgiven person in the world, I should be the most forgiving person in the world. Now remember, forgiveness is not excusing the debt. Everybody messes up, whatever. It's not minimizing the debt. No big deal, that's okay. It's not ignoring the debt and avoiding bringing it up. Forgiveness is letting go of the demand for payback. Forgiveness is a commitment to release our resentment our anger and our bitterness toward another person. Forgiveness is saying the bill is at zero dollars, so I will not bring it out and use it against you. I will not bring it up and show it to others. I will not dwell on it, and I will not let it stand between you and me. It's gone. The old preacher, St. Chrysostom, said, he who considers his own sins is more indulgent to his fellow servant. I love that word, indulgent not fair. Let's just make this fair. Not equitable towards others. Not even cautious. Not demanding our rights or what is due us. Not waiting for us to make our point to the other person. He says indulgent. I think it's the right word. The forgiveness of the Christian is meant to be indulgent, extravagant, decadent. So let me summarize before I Uh, say a few things for my final point the point here those who know forgiveness show forgiveness now forgiveness was not required to earn his grace the servant already had it notice that free with no condition but it was a response to his grace it was a necessary response to his grace that's the point the warning is those who can't give forgiveness have never truly received forgiveness we should let that sink in. And the hope is that those who feel like they cannot forgive can draw strength to forgive by remembering our own forgiveness. So the shock and the strength. Finally, I'd like to say a few words about the scarcity of forgiveness, the final point of application here for us. Based on what I've seen in my own life, in my own pastoral experience over these years, and what we see being revealed to us in this time that we live in, is this. There is a scarcity of forgiveness. There is a great scarcity of true forgiveness in our world and it's right now being revealed. And there is a serious need for forgiveness. It's like a famine, we're starving for it. You know, right now, one of our main goals as Christians should be to shop the world with forgiveness to show the world the gospel. Because we will sin and others will sin against us a lot. It will happen. It's embedded in the expectations of this story. Relationships and communities then can only be strengthened, can only be deepened through the practice of forgiveness. It cannot be done without it. So healthy and strong relationships and community should be Characterized by more forgiveness, not less. The absence of forgiveness is either the absence of relationship or the evidence that there's somebody dominating and somebody playing the role of doormat. Healthy and strong relationships should be characterized by more forgiveness because we sin, there will be debt. And you can start today. You can start today with doing something about the scarcity of forgiveness. I've been quoting from Ronald Roheiser a lot. I've been reading his book, Domestic Monastery. He says this. I think I have the quote um, to share with you all. It's part of the reflection quotes. He says, love is all about forgiving. Again, and again, and again. Families survive only if this is happening. And we could substitute the word family there for marriages, friendships, workplaces. (laughs) The world can only survive if this is happening as we see payback and outrage and conflict and canceling and shutting down and avoidance all happening in the world and in our own hearts. As we see such a scarcity of forgiveness, what should be our reaction? Can you look with me one more final thought on this story? Look at verse 31. When the, when the bystanders, we have these bystanders out there, other servants, saw what the first servant did, they all knew what the king had done for him. What was their reaction? They were grieved deeply. They were grieved. Interesting. They weren't outraged. And so that they would say, what is wrong with you? You are the worst servant ever. They were deeply grieved. Sad. You know, when we're outside of the situation and not in the story ourselves, being wronged or having wronged somebody else, to see the refusal to forgive by someone who has been forgiven such a great debt is something that's meant to cause us to grieve, to be deeply sad. It's meant to stir our feelings and how grievous it is when forgiveness is withheld. To do this and to grow in this, we have to see that forgiveness is much more than a transactional uh, equation. You wrong me, I forgive you. We have to come back to the heart of it all, which is found in the compassion of God, in His compassionate heart. The why? of forgiveness as we develop that heart in ourselves for others. As we are grieved by the scarcity of forgiveness, even in our own hearts, we begin in our own hearts to develop that compassion. I want to share a final thought with you. Last week, uh, Isaac gave an illustration from Hamilton. And now it's my turn. I missed all the initial craze back in 2016 and when it came out, I didn't listen to any of the music. So seeing it just a few weeks ago, uh, I was, uh, it was like the first time and I thought it was fantastic, Uh, so powerful. To me, the most powerful scene and song is about forgiveness. It's uh, a song called It's Quiet Uptown. And I have a little meme uh, that I came across that describes the impact of this song and this scene on me. (laughs) He wants something to cry about. Every time I hear this, I'm so moved when I hear this song. It's all about forgiveness, and there's a refrain in the song that comes from the observers on the outside. Now, the song is about two people who are, uh, one who had wronged the other deeply. Hamilton and his wife Hamilton had wronged her deeply, but the observers say, "Take pity, take pity on who." They're actually calling on you to take pity not just on Hamilton's wife, Eliza, who was sinned against, but on Hamilton, the offender. Take pity. He's working through the unimaginable. And somehow when you hear the song, your heart is stirred for both the one sinned against and the sinner who did terrible things. Take pity. There's a lot of talk about forgiveness. Forgive because... Of the benefits to yourself, and that's true. You know, forgive for your own mental health, etc. That's true, but unforgiveness, although it is like driving a sword through our own hearts, <laughs> it's not the whole picture. We need to see that the great benefit of forgiveness. It's not just what we can do for ourselves, but what we can offer the world a glimpse and a picture of the heart of God, a compassionate heart. In compassion, we never can stand at a distance from anyone, but we're right there with them, feeling with and for them. It unlocks our own hearts from the prison of anger forgiveness. It frees us from self-righteousness and humbles us. And it can free others from the blaming, the attacking, and the hiding of our own wrong and our own sin and all the wrong and sin around us. Because it reveals at the very heart of the universe, at the heart of all things, is a God with an unlimited heart of compassion for all those who come to him as he makes forgiveness available through his son Jesus. Let's run to him again. Let's be shocked again. And let's be strengthened to forgive as we have been forgiven. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God in heaven, right now I pray, as we've looked at this story that is full of shock and surprise, that you would, by your spirit, make it very personal to each one of us. That you would bring to mind people situations where there is not reconciliation. Places in our hearts where we're holding on to unforgiveness and resentment and anger and bitterness. Places we are quick to accuse and blame. People we have been avoiding or running from. I pray right now, by the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring specific people or situations to each of our hearts. And that you would shock us once again that we have been forgiven and that you would empower us to forgive. We ask it in the powerful name of the compassionate Savior, our Lord Jesus. Amen.